This episode of the Happy Hour is brought to you by... Ovation Bistro and Bar. Ovation Bistro and Bar is the perfect alternative to the chain restaurants in the Davenport area. Come and check us out on Highway 27, one mile south past Posner Park and Deer Creek Shopping Plaza. We smoke all of our meats in-house and specialize in beef, brisket, pulled pork, and pulled chicken. We also have steaks, chicken, pasta, and tacos. Come and enjoy our two-for-one well drinks, wines, and $4 mixed drinks. You can reach them at 863-354-6967, Ovation Bistro, where we find the extraordinary is ordinary. Uh, hi, this is Jonathan Adler, uh, Season 3 winner of King of the Nerds on TVS, and this is Happy Hour with Johnny and Newt. Hello, internets. My name is Johnny Womack, and I've got my partner, Deuce. What's going on, man? Hey, Deuce. Of course, this is the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. And every episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce starts off with the patented Deuce salute. Yes, sir. Ah, Good times. Good times, indeed. And we're very, very proud to introduce Season 3's winner of TBS's King of the Nerds. We have Jonathan Adler. Welcome, Doctor Jonathan Doctor Adler. Jonathan sir. Adler. He has a PhD, folks. Hi. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's 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 nice that for some reason, uh, being on the show, everyone's more than happy to call me Doctor Jonathan Adler. And you don't really get that too often. I can't feel like, excuse me, that's Doctor Jonathan Adler. But if you guys want to call me that, I'm not obviously going to complain. No, you you spent eight years in in doctor school for that. We're going to call you Doctor Jonathan Adler. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So I guess the you know we've 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 had the pleasure of interviewing like well more than seventy five percent of season three's contestants like we've we've been able to interview them and they've all have different stories about how they got into becoming a contestant on season three and how how did you get involved with King of the Nerds? Oh, so uh, during season two, uh, some of my friends had a gaming blog, board gaming blog specifically, and they posted a link to the casting call for season two. And I saw that cast and call. I'm like, oh, man, that is a show I could get on. Uh, so I made this big video. I sent it in. I spent, like, the next month waiting eagerly at my computer for to hear back from uh, And I didn't get on. So for, I was disappointed, obviously. Um, but I moved on with my life. And then I saw season three casting call go out. And I'm like, no. I put way too much emotional effort in season two to only to be heartbroken. Uh, I'm not going to fly again. Uh, so I didn't apply up until someone from the casting from season two called me and they're like oh you know you we released your video you got closed last time you should apply uh this time we have like you have like one week on left to apply so you should just put something together so i'm like okay sure why not well Jonathan... so i waited till sun uh, so i waited till sunday night and i and i'm waiting and i finally got a friend over to help me record it and then we're like eh let's just play video games so i didn't uh i didn't record anything then i went to sleep and i had this like dream that i'm like on the show but i almost like, I'm only on the sh- I got on the show, and it had worked, but I, I had to apply, and I don't know. I woke up, and I'm like, okay, I need to apply. So, like, in the two hours, I just whipped something together and sent it off, and then I got on the show. That, that sounds like the Johnny of Deuce way of doing things. It's like, oh, we've got a deadline. No, let's play some video games, man. We'll deal with that <laughs> shit later. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a little bit last minute, but I think actually the fact that I rushed it helped because instead of being nervous, I was just like, F it, whatever. Uh, 
So I guess a question I have for you is, what do you consider the most difficult challenge uh, this season, either Nerd Offs or the Nerd Challenges? Of the ones I competed in, obviously the one that I think was the most difficult was the um, CSI one. And I say that because my team bombed it. Um, (laughs) So we obviously didn't do that well. Uh, And it was hard just because I don't do very well, and I, I realized I didn't do very well in the challenges where I knew the other team or other person was, like, racing against the clock against me, but I couldn't see them. And so in this challenge, like, we're failing at these different CSI tasks, and, like, you know, every five minutes, uh, Curtis would come up to us and say, the blue team has moved on to the next phase of this challenge, and it's just, like, I'm getting more and more frustrated. So completely bombed that. Well, it's funny, you know, everyone's had like their own stories of what they thought was difficult. And like you'd brought up earlier about being almost being a winner, almost being like a contestant season two. And like Colby and Rochelle also have a similar story as well. So I find that like, you know, a good four or five of you had a similar experience, you know, trying to going into season two. And then you ended up being in season three, because as we all know, as watchers and viewers, that this season three is different than the other two, where they actually picked the teams for you and i think that actually changed the dynamic of this season what's your thoughts on that yeah you know i think that helped out a lot because you could if you look at it you can kind of see on each team each person has a parallel um so i think my parallel was caitlin i think um you know uh you could say lily is kind of parallel to either hands heather or amanda so there's a lot of more balance and i think that ended up helping a lot I think it's one of the earlier, I think really in season two, it seems like they got to a point where one of the teams was just deficiting the other um, because they didn't have that balance there. So I think that really helped out. Well, I definitely agree. And I also thought, like we were saying earlier, it was interesting that a lot of you guys that thought you were going to be on season two, they called back for season three. Um, what out of all the challenges do you think was actually your favorite that you most enjoyed? I really liked the boat one. <laughs> um, I just thought that was a ton of fun. I mean, how often you get to be put in a situation, it's like it's like a MacGyver thing, right? They, they brought us in, they're like, okay, you have two hours, and here's a bunch of cardboard, make a boat out of it. And then, like, how often do you actually get to do something like that? Um, so, And then, like, have a competition out of it. That was a ton of fun. Even if our boats ultimately sank, just, like, the ability, like, putting it together, trying to brainstorm what to do, all of that was incredibly fun. So it, it, interesting to me is like everyone had their own stories about Moby. How, how did he appear to you? <sighs> I I mean, he's kind of a dick, right? I I was there with everyone else, so he, he still appeared like a dick to me. Um, but I wasn't as offended, I don't think, because um, I don't know. I guess. It was annoying to me, but I'm just like, I'm just thinking, oh, whatever. He's going to verbally berate us, and we'll move on with our lives. Whereas I think Heather actually did the right thing and actually stood up to him and be like, no, this isn't reasonable what you're doing. Um, so I think I played, which is what I always did in this show, is as much as possible I played the I'm going to do whatever is most politically, uh, politically the best rather than necessarily morally correct. So I'm glad Heather stood up to him. Now, my next question for you is this. You were the ones, or person, in my opinion, that had the brains to kind of pull the pin on the grenade of the Secret Six. What kind of was your thinking behind that and to make you just go ahead and pull the pin on that? Okay, so I played 
Have you ever heard of a board game diplomacy? Um, well, it's this board game where you you have like seven people and you're all playing different countries in World War One, and the entire game is making alliances, knowing when to break them, um, doing all that sort of like deciding when's right to backstab and all that. And I love this game, and I played it with my friends. Like, and, and this game is super. It destroys friendships because, like, when someone backstabs you, it gets really personal. Uh, but I played this game all the time, and I've, I have a whole bunch of friends uh, that I grew up with, I college with, who all are really into board games and all are super cutthroat. So I have a lot of experience in knowing when to backstab and decide what's the right time to make a move. And I think in particular, I knew very early on, because Heather and Amanda were such close friends, that at some point the secret six was going to come down to having me, Heather, and Amanda, the three of us have to pick the person who is going to get sent in. And it blew up and everything. I kind of thought of it as right. uh, me and Johnny are big friends of pro wrestling, and they've got wrestling stables, you know, where four or five guys will get together. And I felt it like that, like one guy turns on another, and I thought the whole group was going to implode and turn on each other, but you said, hey, we're all working together, and then nothing happened after that. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny because I also assumed at some point it was going to all fall apart. Uh, and in fact, like very early on, I'm like, oh, no way, this is going to work. Like in episode two, I said, like, no way. Because I figured, you know, I've spent so much time playing these kinds of games, it was like board games, where it's all about backstabbing. I know these things fall apart. And especially also as a mathematician, like you learn about game theory, Nash equilibrium, like always these things fall apart. So I knew it was going to happen, and I knew Heather and Amanda were really close to each other, so I figured on Team Smash, at some point, me, Heather, or Amanda, one of us was going to have to go in, and it's probably going to be me because they're so close. So I knew I had to really be ready to pull the pin at the right time. And actually, I feel like I did. I'm pretty happy with when I did it. No, I'm not going to lie. I think you did a great job. The only thing is, do you wish you had erased a dry erase board? <laughs> um, I thought I did. Did I not? I thought did, I remember Colton walking say, oh, by it and saying something about, like, I kept right walking by the board and there was this stuff on it, but I didn't know what it was. And then after the fact he got booted off, he's like, I should have remembered what was on the dry erase board. <laughs> um, I think I probably could have done a better job erasing the dry erase board. I'm really terrible at remembering to do things. Um, so leaving something on the dry erase board is entirely inside of my personality. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure that would have been good to do. <laughs> well, uh, there's one thing if, if Happy Hour doesn't talk about when we talk to a King of the Nerds people, I, I think we actually get in, in trouble for, and that is we have to talk about the Todd the Bod fight. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, it, and since he's now unfollowed me on Twitter, I think it's totally okay to talk about it. So, uh, how, how did, what were your feelings about the fight? Okay, here's what I want to talk about, which is... My feelings on the fight are, I think what's less interesting than the fight, what's more interesting to me is the fan reaction from the fight. So after the fight happened, like, you know, after the show was over and before it aired, you know, we're all reasonably close. So I think in general, we all, especially even Todd, came to the conclusion that, like, really Todd was in the wrong there. Um, yeah, he was under, under pressure. Yeah, he thought he was going to be voting out, but that doesn't really give you the right to scream at, you know, to really yell at someone and verbally berate them. Um, so, and like I said on the show, you know, I could see under pressure, like we could all crack, you know, like we could all be Todd, but we weren't. Todd was, and he did something wrong. And so that's how I felt about it. 
So then it was shocking to watch the show, like, after the episode aired, and then go look at the fan reaction and see just how many people were on Todd's side. How many people are like, well, Todd only did that because he was, everyone was ganging up on him. He was totally in the right to blow up. Like, that was, like, totally a valid response. And I just, it took me aback because, one, not only, in general, more people were siding with Todd than Lily. And Lily was the one who was just standing there getting yelled at. Like, and people were like, how dare she manipulate him? Like, yeah. she was just standing there. Uh, and two, right, so one, I was shocked at how many people took Todd's side. Two, I mean, I was just shocked at how okay people were with Todd acting in a way that was uncomfortable just because he was on the wrong, they thought he was being bullied. And three, it was crazy because Todd felt like he did the wrong thing. Like, Todd, like, after the episode aired, sent Lily flowers. So Todd felt like he had the, was on the wrong side. And yet, so many people in the fan base were like, oh, no, Todd was totally right there. And that's really shocking to me. Really? that That's kind of been your reaction with the fan base? Yeah. I mean, certainly way more Todd support than I would have expected. Certainly more people thinking Todd thought he did the wrong thing, and lots of people were like, Todd was right. Oh, Lily was emotionally manipulating him. And it's like, Whoa! <laughs> Wow, uh, my mind is kind of blown. I'm taking it back a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you kind of a personal question, and, and you can feel free sure. to sidestep it. Have you listened to any of our previous episodes? Uh, okay, no. Uh, no okay, that that's totally fine, because <laughs> you'll understand where we come from when I say this. We've had uh, Lily on. We actually had, in this hilarious show like this, we had Todd the Bot on the night before the fight aired, and so I was telling Todd, I was like, hey, because the week before that, you'd done the cosplay challenge. And Lily was crying, and, you know, he was like, hey, don't cry, you know, be strong, you know, I was trying to stick up for her. Um, and I was like, you know, that's really cool, you're really a cool dude, you know, you're a guy I want to get a beer with. So me and him, we're buddy-buddy, you know, we're, we're Twitter official, we're, you know, following each other, if you will. And then, come the next day, he blows up, and I'm like... Oh, hell to no. Like, <laughs> I ain't down with that. <laughs> and then it was funny because we had a, an interview. Who was it? We inter It was Heather, wasn't it? Yeah, Heather. Yeah, and I told Heather, I said, look, I, I really respect you for everything you did in the fight, but I'm a big country boy from Polk County, and I, I wouldn't have put up with that. And once he said the B word, it would have been like uh, old Forrest Gump. In uh, in the movie when uh, Jenny gets smacked, it's like you know he jumps over the table and starts pummeling that guy. It's like as soon as he said the b word, me and him would have gone in the other room and had a long, long talk about some some things. We would have gotten right with Jesus, as we would say. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. So then four interviews later, I'm Mister Unfollowed by Mister Todd the Bod, who we still love. We love that guy to death. Todd the Bod's awesome. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's a great dude. But it's funny to hear you say that people were on the opposite side of the fence feeling like he got bullied and he got pushed into a corner because me, like I said, being the country boy I am, I automatically get on the woman's side, like period. It's like, oh, I'm on her side, <laughs> like done. <laughs> so it's interesting to hear other people's points of view and how they feel about the situation. Yeah, I think I tweeted about this. I think it's like it was kind of like what you saw in it was more about you than what actually happened. And I think a lot of the viewers had been in situations where they felt bullied and then they reacted in a strong way. 
And so when they see Todd reacting in a strong way, they don't think Todd was in the wrong. They think, oh, that's exactly how I would have responded, which is totally fine, even if it's probably not totally fine. Uh, so I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of it just has to do with how you grew up in your experiences and how negatively the idea of bullying reacts, you know, how negatively that impacts you. Well, exactly. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's how you're brought up. Like I was brought up in the South and being a country boy, it's like my dad always taught me to stick up for women, you know, things like that. So my knee jerk reaction is like, I'm on her side. Like I'm with her. And, you know, and especially, like I said, once he dropped the B word, I was like, Oh, now I'm super defensive. Like now you've, you've crossed a line because of my, you know, my, my country ways, if you will, my, me being a gentleman, I'm like, okay, there's certain lines you can't cross and cross that. But then again, like you just said, you put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Like I've been bullied. You get pushed in a corner, you know, you can look at it a different way that, wow, that's, that's really enlightening. Right. Okay. Okay. So here, I just went to the thread, the Reddit thread, okay, for King of the Birds from season three, week three, so that episode. The, one of the top comments, the first comment that talks about Todd, says, "I see a lot of t- okay." And I'm going to read this in my in my snarky voice. Do it, sir. I see a lot of Todd hate on here. Honestly, I kind of agree with him. While he did let his emotions get the better of him, he he did speak some truth, even though he pulled more than his fair share of work. The pretty girl was able to coast by. Also, his yelling was not bullying, in my opinion. It was letting his emotions get the better of him. What felt, what felt more like bullying to me during that episode was when Todd left the room. Not even two seconds after that, his team decides he needs to get voted off. Although he put in just as much effort as, if not more than, the rest of the team. And that goes on and on. But basically, it's like, I don't know, this person's like... uh wow, it's totally okay to scream at a person if you feel bullied. But that's not true at all. No, that's, <laughs> like, awesome. as human beings, we have certain rights and privileges, but I don't think anybody has the right to scream or yell and definitely not yell uh, obscene obscenities at another person, even if you feel slighted. You need to leave the room or just get away from the situation, but, you know. Right, and and it's not bullying in a game, a reality TV show game about voting people off when someone leaves the room to decide to vote them off. Like, that's not what bullying means. That's playing a game. But yelling at someone until they cry, like, that is bullying. Yeah, that's kind of the definition. I'm pretty sure if you pull out Webster's right now, it's like, uh, yell at somebody to the cry, you're a bully. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I think since that event happened, really in the last six months, you know, I've got to know all these cast members, I got to know Todd particularly well, and I feel like Todd has grown a lot from it. He really, like, I don't think Todd today would have done that. So it's really, must, like, it must be so hard for him to watch knowing that now, like, oh, that's, you like, you know, it's really hard to watch it. You have to be able to say, no, even though I did that thing that is bad, that's not me. Well, see, that's the thing, like, you, you have in your life, especially because, and, and we, we talk about this because me and Johnny are old men, in comparison to you, you young whippersnappers. But, you know, being at that stage in your life and with cameras on you, you're going to make mistakes. Hell, I would hate to have a camera on me at, at, at you guys' stage in your life. I would have done some completely stupid and idiotic shit. But, you know, when you do that in front of millions of people, you can't just be like, oh, my bad, I'm sorry. It's not like you did it at a bar on a Friday night and can go to the 20 people that are there and be like, hey, my bad. It's like you did it in front of America. Now you've got to apologize to America. 
Yeah, that's really hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Twitter isn't big enough to apologize to all of America. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> well, and also, it's like you know, you you brought it up in your uh, promo when you were for uh, TBS about how you know being a nerd back in the day wasn't the cool thing. You you got made fun of. So I feel like a lot of us you know, have gotten made fun of growing up, especially in the nerd culture, so to speak, and, like, how we just kind of feel like you can relate to the nerd... Because we had talked to um, Rochelle, and Rochelle had a uh, her stance on bullying as well, and she's, you know, very against bullying and all that, and, and so she you know, she had different... She had a similar take on it as well, you know, like, hey, you know, you shouldn't be doing that and, and whatnot, and, like, you know, your emotions can get the best of you, true, yeah. but it doesn't... It, you still shouldn't yell at someone like that especially when they cry you're you know, part of you should be like all right let me uh let me take it down a notch someone's crying you know yeah. that's a whole different level you're hitting but i i do see the bullying aspect to a point because you know we were all bullied and now i guess being nerd is kind of the cool thing now so i don't know i guess i can see both sides to a point but you should you shouldn't make someone cry no no probably not uh and it's it's also interesting because you're talking about you know just what the nerd and nerd cool now a lot of people, when watching this show, a lot of the fans are trying to decide which one of us were real nerds, right? What? Like, some are like, Amanda's not a real nerd because she's, you know, like a bookworm. That's not nerdy. That's geeky. Or like, you know, Lily's too pretty to be a nerd. Or me, I'm not a nerd because I use politics and backstabbing, which is unnerdy. And like, I don't know. People put a lot of put a lot of effort into trying to decide what was or was not a nerd. I don't know. Like, who cares? <laughs> Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. And also, you know, I, I think it was we were talking to who we were talking Rochelle, and Rochelle was saying, you know, a nerd is just someone that's passionate about something. That's what it is. You're you're just passionate about something. You're a nerd. Like if you love football and that is your jam, yeah. then you're a nerd for football. Yeah. You know, if you, you know what I mean. Like yeah. you know, so it doesn't. Everyone has things they're passionate about. I think we're all yeah. nerds in a way. Yeah. So it's been very strange to like, you know, I think. Right, so really, I think there are two definitions of nerd, right? There's the, like, you're passionate about something definition, and the kind of, you're someone who is excluded from general society definition, right? Like, you're someone who doesn't fit in with everyone else. And I think a lot of people associate with that definition, and I think that definition is just very unhealthy, right? When you make being a nerd be about not being a popular kid, well, now you define yourself just by what you're not which is unhealthy, and you've also made it now that it means now you're being exclusive too, saying, oh, you can't be a nerd because you have too many friends. Like, that's also, like, that's no more exclusive than saying, oh, you can't hang out with us because you don't like sports. Well, that's some pretty profound stuff. You should write a book someday. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, A King of the Nerds, uh, you know, maybe... You Memoirs, know, autobiography of yeah. my of my uh, t- time of tenure on the throne. There you go. There I you was go. just gonna call it "Deep Shit" by Jonathan Adler. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> you, you, as long as you give me like two Deep cases of beer, Jonathan you can Adler take that story. title. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you're a gamer. You're into gaming, uh, obviously board, ga- tabletop, and you're into video games. What do you play video game wise? What are you into? Oh, so I really like strategy games. Um. So my, some of my favorite games are the Fire Emblem series for Nintendo, or like I liked Command & Conquer growing up. Oh, um, my jam. I'm really into, uh, what else, the, the game XCOM, which came out like two years ago. Oh, yeah. my favorite game. Yeah. Uh, so I really like games that are strategic 
and I really like games that require you to, like, kind of gamble or, like, take risks. So, like, when you play XCOM, you know, it's this turn-based strategy game, and you can, I always play it on the mode where you're never allowed to reload your save. Like, whatever happens, happens. Just because I love the, you know, having to make the decision of, okay, this person, I'm going to put them out, outside of cover, so they're going to be vulnerable, but they'll have a 50% chance of taking the shot. Is it worth it? And I love that kind of, like, you know, high-stakes tension of, like, like, did I make the right call? Like that permadeath mode, pretty much. Exactly. Which just, it makes things, it makes your decisions really have relevance, and I just find that fascinating. Well, did you, did you play Fire Emblem Awakening for the 3DS? Oh, yes. Uh, that is one of my favorites, too. It is fantastic. I mean, I love the whole idea of being able to uh, have a, have a kid with people, and then they come back into the from the future and to be with your party. That's mind blowing. Like, and they're all different, and depending on who you partnered with, like I I, I just I think that game was so deep on so many levels, and it kind of I think rejuvenated the whole series, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, and I remember reading that that was going to potentially be their last Fire Emblem if it didn't sell well, but then it sold spectacularly well, uh, which is good. Um. Yeah, no, I loved Fire Emblem. I think I've played every single Fire Emblem that's been released in the U.S. Like, that is, like, my favorite game series. Yeah, it's awesome. I, you mentioned uh, Command & Conquer. I, I remember back in... This is... The, throw it in the Wayback Machine here. This is circa 1998. I remember I was playing Command & Conquer Red Alert, and my mind was oh. my mind was blown. Like, I, I was like, oh my gosh, you can do this. You can move this guy over here. You're talking to Einstein. Uh, my, my head exploded. Like, I, I just couldn't believe what you were able to do, you know. And back in the day, you know, I had it... You could either play it with a, a keyboard and mouse, or I think PS One had it as well, and it yeah. just blew me away. Like what you could do, and just the, the strategy involved, strategy involved behind it, and, and the full motion video. I love. Yeah, that. I'm a full motion video fanatic. Yeah, and so you know, it's funny. Command and Conquer Red Alert is actually really the first strategy game I ever played growing up, and I remember I was in middle school, and I'd be sitting around the lunch table with my like four nerd friends. And they all were playing the game, and they're talking about how awesome it was, and they're talking about, like, and then Tanya punches the dude and sets off the C4 and does all this stuff, and I'm like, wow, this game sounds awesome. So I went out, and I bought it. And then I loaded up, and the first thing that I see is, like, this really pixelated, like, top-down view of, like, a little pixelated person. You know, and it's like, I'm like, this doesn't sound like what they're talking about at all. I'm like, all right, well, I'll give it a chance. And then I get super hooked on it, and then that, like, spawns my entire love of their genre of games. Um, but yeah, it's just funny, because the initial disconnect between like you have to, like like it's this it's the graphics are just not there to the point where you have to imagine in your mind like everything really like like what these tanks are doing like what things really look like but then it's super like once you start doing that it's super awesome well yeah i mean i i think with uh, command and conquer i think it kind of opened the doors to other other franchises like civilization did you ever play those games you know i haven't like i've downloaded them but i never got started on them and part of that was because i knew that if i got started on them i would lose all of my time whatsoever so like <laughs> it's scary <laughs> yeah they're really good games and it's it's kind of has that whole politics or a lot of politics are involved because you like it's about politics and war and factions and and so it's a little bit more like i find myself i think actually i find it a lot more dense than um than the command and conquer you oh, know sure because yeah. you got to play the politics game right. it's not just Let's get resources, build units. Let's go defeat this objective. It's like, no, you've got to work politics, and you've got to see if these guys will work with you, or those right. guys will work with you, and 
it's it's really really deep. But I'll tell you what, when you get a chance, brother, you've got to do it because that game is basically they they built that game just for you. Yep, <laughs> it's it's the Jonathan RTS. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now my question for you then is. Because I know a little bit about it. Should I start with Civilization Five or Civilization Four? Four. My understanding is that the big. Okay, four. Yeah, I would definitely go with four. Okay. Now, what system would you play it on, or would you play it on PC? What would you? Yeah, always PC for me. Yeah, it's the best way Unless to. No other choice. Yeah, yeah, it's the best way to play RTS. Uh, definitely start with four, five. If it's, I'm not saying it's more of the same, but there's definitely some similar. They take some similar things from four, but five feels like five almost feels like a different animal to me. Like I treat it as a separate entity because they've tried to improve upon things a little bit. But uh, definitely, if I were you, if you're able to get your hands on four, I think you're really. I, I sunk hundreds of hours into four. Uh, like this pre-playing campaigns, going over, re-strategizing. I mean, there's a lot of variables in that game, and I think you really appreciate. Okay. Then I will check that out, but I'm going to wait until I have a little bit of free time, and I'm not going to accidentally destroy my get, never get work done for the next, you know, month. Oh yeah, no, I got you right there. Uh, now, what's your what's your um, type of tabletop games? Do you play Magic? Do you play Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, what do you what do you, what's your jam? Okay, so I play. So my general thing is I really like board games. Um, so, you know, we're talking like um, you know, like Settlers of Catan, Puerto Rico. Uh, uh, power Grid, those kind of games. I I occasionally dabble in tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. Um, I DM'd a game about six months ago with some of my friends. That was a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of work to like you know run a game um, with Magic. Okay, so here's my problem. My, my thing about Magic is that I don't know enough about Magic to be good at it, but I think it's really fun. So what I like to do is I like to go to gaming stores and do the draft, you know, where you pay 15 bucks and you get like three, you know, random, you know, booster packs and make a deck out of that, basically. Uh, I do that, and then I always lose them because I'm really bad at magic because I don't know enough about it. Um, but I have a lot of fun. So I'll do this like once every three months. I'll go out and run a draft, you know, play the draft and uh, then lose. Well, don't feel bad. I'm exactly right there with you. I love magic, but it's just too... Time intensive. You've got to know the cards. You've got to know what the cards do, and you've got to know how this card reacts to that card. And it used to be a lot of fun. And it, just like you, every once in a while, because there's a, a card store right down the street from my house, and I'll go maybe once every three months and go play Friday Night Magic when they're doing a draft a, a tournament. But it's like if it's just oh you bring your own deck, it's like no because I'll get demolished by somebody that knows exactly what they're doing and it's not fun. I just want to go and have a good time. Yeah, and it gets expensive too. No joke. Like um, you can spend a small fortune on that thing. Yeah. Um. So I like the idea of magic. I guess, but you know, I I only lightly dabble in it. So. Well, I, I definitely agree with that because that's definitely the way to go. Is there any other uh, game that you're really liking right now? What am I into these days? You know, I just downloaded for my iPad Final Fantasy VI uh, from way back when, and that's been fun because it's kind of like reliving my childhood. But now I get to do it on an iPad wherever I go. Arguably the best game ever made, according to a lot of people. Yeah, so I have a lot of strong opinions. I think I was blowing up with someone on Twitter about this, about which Final Fantasy is the best. So Final Fantasy VI, which is largely many people's favorite, is my second favorite. Final Fantasy X 
which a lot of people aren't don't like that much, is actually my favorite. I love ten. I I, I think ten and I'd actually I I think ten is the last good Final Fantasy game. Yeah, well, I thought twelve was okay, but thirteen was so bad. Very linear. Yeah, and it was the plot made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, very convoluted, and then of course. They uh, were like, hey, uh, let's, we're going to be doing a sequel that will be doing time travel and we'll open it up, which 13.2 was fine. It was okay. And then Lightning Returns, the combat system was fantastic, but once again, the storyline is convoluted and I did not know what's happening. You have three games in this, this series and I still had no idea what happened. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I played 13 and I really didn't like it for like the first 20 hours but at that point I was committed and then finally by like hour 20 I'm like okay this is kind of fun I guess uh, like eventually the battle system got fun but it took 20 hours to get there and then I played for another 30 hours and I got to the ending and I'm like what the heck just happened I had no idea um, and so now I'm kind of like that was a point I'm like okay no longer will I just play Final Fantasy games because I know their Final Fantasy. Like, you have to earn my trust now, Square. No, um, I, yeah, I agree. That being said, I really do like Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced and Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced 2. Those games were a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, those are fantastic. Uh, I mean, w- going back to the old Final Fantasies, like, I love Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. I think they're, every one, every one of those games has a different uh, perks and tweaks and, and kinks there. Uh, also, Final Fantasy 2, I still hold is one of the hardest games. Like, the fact that you have to take damage to increase your hit points, like, and that game is so hard. Um, very, very challenging by today's standards. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing that happens in general. Uh, right? That, like, I feel like games historically were harder, um, games historically were harder just because, um, we got... Game developers weren't as good at teaching you how to do things. Uh, not only, like so, so I think games have gotten a lot better at like doing tutorials and really using you into things. Whereas games way back when, they're just gonna be like, okay, here's a really hard system, you deal with it. Which on the one hand made the games a lot more frustrating and hard, but on the other hand, I think like if you talk to people who are adults now, when I talk about their childhood games, they're like, I spent so many hours on this game that like I like. That it became a part of me. Like I'm emotionally attached to how many, uh, how much frustration and hours I put into this game. So like, it's kind of interesting that you know, in some ways, that frustration from games historically was actually good. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up. I, I've, I've probably logged several, several hours into Mega Man Two back in the day when, because that game was one of my favorite Mega Man games in the franchise, but historically very difficult too. Uh, but in theory, you could beat that game in an hour and speed run through, and you're done in an hour or whatever. And but the thing is, is like you know, you look at today's games, it's like, oh well, a lot of people they it's that per hour structure. For example, like if someone says, hey, uh, this is a uh, indie game or downloadable game, and it's it's got like you know four or five hours of gameplay, they're thinking, oh well, it's gonna be ten dollars. But then you look at something like Dragon Age Inquisition, which has like hundreds of hours of gameplay and has a sixty dollar price tag. I think the problem is a lot of people, you know, don't realize that, you know, technically Mega Man and Mario, you can beat in an hour or less and you're paying full price for those games. But nowadays it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, people think they have to have so much hours of content for their price point. And I think that because of the whole indie division that's come out in the last few years, I think they're kind of separate closing that gap now or that you kind of have like the second tier games are kind of going away and you now have the the indie games and you have the AAA games. So it's, you know. 
I just I think it's funny, you know, how how yeah. we've changed. And you know, there's this like I think a lot of people, you know, they want to get the most fun out of a game, and so like they'll take a game and they'll try and 100 percent it, which will be hours and hours of work, right? And so this just makes the game enormously long. And I that's not me. For me, like once I beat the game, or like once I hit the maximal fun, and like it starts being less fun, I'm like, nope, I'm out. I can be doing something else right now. So. I'm particularly bad at when it comes to getting the most hours of fun out of the game. Like, the moment it becomes slightly less fun than before, I'm like, psh, gone. Well, it's funny. I, I feel you there. Uh, I, I put 48 hours into LEGO Marvel Super Heroes for uh, PS4. Which was ridiculously <laughs> stupid. To get a platinum trophy. <laughs> to get a platinum trophy. It took me 48 hours to do it. And it was, I was, towards the end, I was like, oh my god, what? I need to get this last character. I'm just sitting here and I can't find him. They have to result to the game facts. And I'm like, ah! And I was almost getting, losing sleep over it. I'm like, alright, I'm going to get this platinum and then I'm walking away from this thing for a while. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I, I totally see that, and I, uh, like, I, I think I just walk away from things way easier than other people. Well, no, I, I think you've got to have that time to fun ratio, like, you want to have fun, but, like, for me, prime example, like, I really want to get into some RPGs, but I just, that's a time sink, you know what I mean? And it's like, I would rather play a game that I can beat maybe 8, 12, 18 hours than a game that's going to take me 140 because I can have just as much fun with the 8-hour game as I can with the 140-hour game. Yeah, and you know, uh, I remember, like, I think back of myself when I was in, you know, high school or middle school or whatever, and I put, you know, like, 50 hours into each Final Fantasy game, like, all in a row. And I just think, like, how the heck did I have that much time in my life? Like, how did I do that? Well, it's... I say... But then, last December, I got hooked on Fire Emblem Radiant. Yeah, Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn. I played through all that, and I ended up putting like a hundred hours into it over the course of a month by just removing every other component of my life, which was really unhealthy. So, <laughs> it's funny. I, I for me, it's like I have kids right now. So it's like I find that the only time I can game is at night after the kids are in bed because it's like before I would just marathon through games. Like I would literally be like, I, if I had a day off, I'd get up. You know, go exercise, do whatever I got to do, and then when I'm done with that, I'll sit and just sit for eight hours straight playing a game until I had to go to work the next day. And now it's like I, I just I get lucky. I get maybe one or two hours of gaming a night, and it's like with Dragon Age Inquisition, I was so excited to get the game, and I'm like, oh man, it's gonna be great. I love it. It's a, it's it's harking back to the older RPGs, you know, etc. And I've probably logged in maybe ten hours, and that and that's not even ten percent of the game. And I'm just like, it's so daunting for me now to get into something that's that large of a game it's kind of sad isn't it <laughs> it is it is and you feel bad because you're like i put 60 dollars down on this game i want to get my like deuce said get my investment out of this but i'm just like i can just go and you know play shovel knight you know for five to eight hours and beat the game and have a fantastic time you know it, it I, I do agree with i agree with both of you guys you know i feel like this this that whole time commitment deal that you really have to you know sacrifice things in order to do the things you love. So Yeah, I, which gets harder as you become an adult. Oh yeah. Did you speaking of uh, RPGs, did you play Bravely Default for three DS? Play sorry, which game for three DS? Uh, Bravely Default? No. Oh, you gotta check this out. Bravely Default is done by uh, Square Enix, but it's done by one of the original teams that did Final Fantasies like four through six. So you have a lot of the original creators that did that game. 
And essentially what it is, is it is, in my personal opinion, it would be as if Final, if, if the Final Fantasy creators never did, like, 10, 12, 11, and 12, and 13, and 14, right? So it's like keeping it back to the old 1 through 6 era of gaming. You know, you've got your, you know, your art, you know, turn-based strategy, etc., and all that, and you've got your active time battle. So it harkens back to, like, you know, Final Fantasy 4 through 6, and, like, I, I really love it because there's, there's one mechanic in that game that I think every single RPG should have from this point on is the whole, you know how you, you're going through and all of a sudden it's random battle? Well, yeah, and it gets super tiring. It does get super tiring, especially we've all done it. We're in through a dungeon. We're like, I'm going to mar- go through it because you can't save in a dungeon in most RPGs. So I'm going to go through, beat it, and then you die, and then you have to respawn in front of the dungeon, right? Well, in this game, you can set your your uh, respawn rate to 0% where you don't have any random battles. So if you're at like 1% health and you just beat the boss in that dungeon, you don't have to go through and fight all those bosses on the way out. You can sit 0 uh, encounters and you won't enter you won't attack anybody no one will attack you the whole time and i think that's brilliant because a it gives you that choice of how challenging you want to make the game because you can actually increase it to 200 percent where literally every two feet you go you have a, a random battle occurring so i kind of like that juxtaposition there huh and yeah i guess that makes it easier to grind if you need to too if you can yeah just set it 200 percent and then just like all right come get me yeah, because that's the thing is, old school RPGs, you know, is all about the grind. Like you said, it's grinding, grinding. Like I would literally, no joke, I would sit and play Final because I logged in probably about forty plus hours into Final Fantasy IV. But I would, I would, I would be listening to back in the day. I guess it was like a Walkman, not not MP3 player. But I had like my Walkman going, and I was eating chips, and I was just really going around and hitting the circle, going hey, 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 the whole time, just like every would be. And then when my health would get low, I'd go back to heal up at the end, come back, hey, 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 walk around, walk around, and then I would just spend hours, just literally like fifteen hours, just grinding just to get to each level, and and just so I can demolish the the the, the bosses. That was where my life got sucked into. <laughs> Yeah, and somehow that's fun. Like, isn't it weird? It like, is. Yeah. Like, you think about it objectively, like, that shouldn't be fun, but it's fun. Yeah, it's that whole sense of accomplishment, right? And I think that's one of the things why we play games, any type of game, board games, tabletop games, video games, any type of game, is that sense of accomplishment. And also, I love the whole idea of when you play tabletop games, it's the whole social environment that you don't really get with video games. You know, I like being able to connect with people to be able to talk to people and you grow and you make new friends. And there's something special about those type of games that you don't necessarily get with a video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So is there any other games you've been playing lately, or what systems are you playing on mostly? Because it sounds like it's PC and 3DS. Yeah, so PC is really my primary gaming system. Uh, I, let's see, I got a Wii U. That's my only next-gen console, or I guess now current-gen console I have. I got that about four months ago, and I actually really liked it for all the party games. You know, like... Which is really, I feel like, the thing Nintendo has going for it. It's like, I really like games where you can get just a bunch of friends in your living room and have a good time. And I feel like the, or the uh, Wii U nails that, and no other system does anymore. Yeah, no, it's couch co-op. Nintendo knows couch co-op like crazy. Like, I love getting together with friends and playing Mario Kart or playing Smash Brothers. Like, those those are so much fun. Like, some, to be able to get people in the same room. And like you said, you know, a lot of, a lot, the problem with a lot of... 
uh, co-op game, especially during the PS2 era, was that whole four that like split screen was really weird. Like they never nailed it. But now I feel like the Wii U with Mario Kart 8, like they've mastered that split screen. It looks beautiful. It runs at 60 frames per second. It looks amazing. But it's just it's simple too, right? I mean, a lot of the controls aren't very complex, but it's all about you know interacting with people and having a fun time. And I think they really took a lot of mileage out of Mario Kart 8 and Smash. Yeah, and uh, actually, we were playing um, the or sorry Super Mario 3D World, and oh, that was great. a fantastic co-op Mario game. Like, I feel like it's the most fun co-op Mario I've played to date. And you know, they tried co-op Mario before, and like it's kind of an eh, okay, but this game was phenomenal. Yeah, it really took it you know to the next level, and I, I can't wait to see what Nintendo does next. Because you know, we, Deuce and I, we had talked about you know Nintendo is going to be doing a new system called, I mean the code name Nintendo NX. NX. So they're definitely going to be doing something new, but it probably won't be for a couple more years. Because that's that's the thing that most people don't realize is when a system is launched, like a the PS4. Sony is now working on the PS5. Like, they're already in development cycle for the next system. So they're always working on the new system, and that's something people need to realize. Just because Nintendo announced they're working on a new system doesn't mean you shouldn't buy a Wii U or the new Zelda coming out, the new Star Fox coming out, the new Metroid coming out. There's still a lot of games, a lot of life left in that Wii U. Yeah, I mean, think about the, the PS3 three, and Xbox 360. That generation lasted, what, almost 10 years? Yep. Eight years? Yep. Like, so it's still a long time before we'll probably see the PS5 or what have you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's usually about a decade that they, I think, both of them hit. And I think it was the 360 was 2005. So, and then, you know, pretty much stopped around this year. And because uh, I don't think they're making, are they making any more games? I don't think they're making any more games or small I'm games. I'm sure they will. Like I mean, some... you've got to look at your men's and your sports titles. I mean, they'll definitely drop titles for it for a few more years at 360. I mean, the 360 huh. isn't totally dust. I, I mean, don't know. I thought they were, I think that, I think Microsoft came out and said they were, done with it I don't know. I'd, I'd be very surprised because I know they're they're really pushing very, very surprised yeah well we'll see what happens but I mean definitely you know I'm glad you got a Wii U as well because like I, I, I agree I think Nintendo single-handedly makes the best uh, first party games on the planet period yeah and you know I had a 360 and a PS3 I used them for almost nothing like I barely used them at all um I actually didn't really use my Wii either, but I am using the Wii U, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, so, and I've decided, like, I'm just, I'm not, like, I have no real interest in the Xbox One or the PS4, but the Wii U has seemed appealing. Do you play Smash at all? Like, do you have a person you main? Um, yeah, so I do play a bit of Smash, but I'm not very good at it. I got the new one. Uh, I really like the Tactician from Fire Emblem, obviously, <laughs> as a Fire Emblem <laughs> fan. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like, yeah, really the Fire Emblem characters in general because I'm just a fanboy, I guess. But I definitely like the Tashkishin the most. Who is that, Robin? The one named Robin? Yeah, Robin, right, yeah. Yeah, I like that you can play as a male or a female too, which is kind of cool because that's the way it is in the game. You can choose to be a male or female, so I kind of like that Nintendo yeah. kept that. It was nice that in this version of Smash they made it so all the characters were a little more, uh, the models were a little more diverse as opposed to just being different colors of the same one. Like, it was nice that they have male and female and you know, a bunch of the other characters have alterations like that. Well, especially, like, the, the Bowser's kids, like, every one of them looks totally different. Like, uh, there's eight of them, so I thought that was really neat how they did that. Yeah. Oh, it's something I really like in Smash. Okay, maybe I'm weird, but our, my circle of friends, we really like, if you are in selecting the characters and you select over Bowser Jr., it goes 
Bowser Jr. It's hilarious voice they ever heard. So if you haven't noticed that, you should next time you go smash, just select Bowser Jr. and really like just breathe in and embrace the announcer's voice in it. <laughs> well, I think it's hilarious because I remember when uh back when Nintendo sixty four days when they had the you know the original um Smash Brothers, like in all seriousness, like that game does not hold up very well, the original. Like I mean it it doesn't no. look very good. Like it does it's really slow and jaggy and the frame rate's really slow. So it, I'm glad Nintendo decided to get another chance to, you know, start off with Melee. And, of course, Melee is huge, even still, you know, with all the tournaments. But just think about, like, if that was the only Smash game, we wouldn't be having these amazing Smash iterations later on. Yeah. No, and, you know, I will admit, I Smash, the new Smash didn't really hold my attention for as long as I would have expected, but it's still fun. Yeah, I think they've added on, I think they've added on a lot of uh, interesting components, um, especially... You know, with melee, there's all you know the L canceling, wave dashing. There's all that stuff that the you know, people try to like, not 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 hack the system, but kind of like you know take, you know use it to the most they can. And and I feel like every iteration, because uh, that was one of the problems with brawl was how slow the inputs were with with uh, brawl for Wii. Mm. Yeah, so I never played it to the point where like I got to that level of noticing that stuff. Like I was always kind of bad at it. Um, and I was always impressed when, like, hearing people be like, oh, you know, tripping ruined Brawl. And I'm like, I didn't even know this tripping was a thing. <laughs> well, you could almost say that they're they're nerding out and they're very passionate about uh, Smash Brothers. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I, I was always impressed by people's noticing of that stuff that just completely went over my head, that nerding out. Well, it's funny. I always like the full, full people online because, like, I play as – I mean as Kirby. I've been meaning him since 64 – and Kirby isn't necessarily the best character, but the way I play him, I guess it just takes people off guard. And like the, you've probably seen it before online, or other players do it. But I do the whole uh, suck and uh, spit technique, where you you suck someone into your mouth and you walk all the way off to the edge, and you literally fall off the edge until you're the, the farthest you can drop, and then you spit out the character, and then you float all the way back to the top, and they get a KO out of it. It is the most rewarding experience ever. <laughs> Yeah, I loved I loved being Donkey Kong and grabbing people and just walking off the edge with them. And I understand that doesn't help me win the game, but it frustrates the crap out of people. Yeah, it's I, I think that's what I love about Smash Brothers because there's, there's that debate where is it really a fighting game? Because there's a lot of hardcore like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat and uh, Soul Calibur and, and you know there's a lot of fans like that that are dead or alive. They they love their precise controls and with Smash Brothers there really isn't a lot of controls you have to learn. All the characters. You have the same inputs. Sure, they operate differently, but it's like it's really not that hard to pick up and play. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's funny when we in King of the Nerds when Ben and I had to do that Tekken thing. It's like, nope, never played Tekken before. All right, I know I will never learn. You know, I obviously have two minutes to play this game. I will never learn anyone's combos or anything. So I'm just gonna mash buttons. Whereas I feel like you don't really have that so much in Smash, right? It's not like you have to learn. Oh, all this character's subtleties. It's like, no, it's the same thing. Press B up to do an up attack. But if I remember correctly, weren't you the one that said in your interview on King of the Nerds, they actually had the move list on the machine and you read it and figured out how to start doing people's moves? <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't like the move list of like up, up, left, right, where it was like up is like this button is kick. This button and this direction is kick forward. So like, it was like the base level instructions. As well, opposed to, like, the, you know, 
how do you do the super combo thing that will instantly win you the game, which I'm sure was in there. You know, like, I just assume that I will never learn those super weird combos in time, so I'm just going to use the base stuff and, you know, mash a lot. Mash the base stuff a lot. Well, I'll tell you what, it seemed like a lot of times in King of the Nerds, the thing that saved your bacon, if you will, was you learn to read. Like, being a doctor and spending eight years in doctor school, you're like, huh, what am I going to do with this arcade cabinet? Oh, I'm going to read the directions on how to play this game instead of just button mashing like a fool. Yeah, it's funny. Heather gives me so much crap for that line about us three doctors. You know, when there are three doctors left in the house, like, oh, we're going to be better at studying because we have no experience in it. And she's always like, wow, look at you, doctor. Like, acting like you're the only one who knows how to read. But you're right. Like, you spent so many years in school. Like, of course you're going to get pretty okay at learning stuff. And, yeah, I feel like the thing that really did save me throughout the show the most was I would constantly be trying to, like, learn what's going on and use it. Right? Like, when there was the Alliance stuff, I was constantly like, okay, what's going on? How can I use this? Like, how can I adapt the situation? And I think that really helped out. Well, that's a funny thing, because you said that you thought the hardest challenge was a CSI challenge, and all of you admitted that was the one challenge where you didn't read all the directions, and you were like, crap. If we had read the directions, I would have been able to, like, probably beat this team. Yeah, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Well, that's my favorite uh, one because as a red-blooded male from Polk County, what's the first thing I do when I get something from Home Depot? Throw out the directions and start putting it together. Or Ikea or anything right, like so, that. It's like, ah, oh, I got yeah, this. I can figure it out. I got, you know, I got the power tools. I can do it. Yeah, and so I'm not going to blame my teammates too much, but that's exactly what I did. I'm like, okay, you guys are the instructions. You guys figure it all out. I'm going to start just trying to, like, do it by hand because, you'll like, you learn so much just by, you know, actually – looking at the power tool yourself or actually trying to like use the fingerprinting kit yourself like you get so much knowledge just by doing hands-on stuff that if you have someone doing the hands-on stuff well other people on your team are reading like that's a really powerful combination it just turned out that i did not very clearly say hey read the instructions i must have just stumbled at them or something and so they didn't do it and we ended up losing miserably well, at least I think that might have actually won for you just because, like you said, once you got to the arcade cabinet with Tekken, you were like, oh, I can just read the instructions on Tekken and learn how to do the basic moves, and you end up winning. Yeah, and I think that was something I really learned throughout the show was that it's so easy to get on the, sh you know, to be doing something on the show and just be petrified because you know millions of people are watching you. You know you're racing against another team. And it's so easy to just get tunnel vision and to freak out and not get anything done. But the more you can breathe in, breathe out, be like, okay, let me just read the instructions. Or let me just joke about the chess game to keep Ben distracted. Like, the more you can just kind of breathe and be like, oh, it doesn't even matter, uh, the better off you are. Well, that was the thing that Rachelle and Lily both said in that one challenge where you guys were in the pods and they were asking all these trivia questions. Like, you had, like, three seconds to answer these questions, and, like, it's, it's, there's a lot of pressure involved. And, you know, you may even know the answer, but just say it incorrectly like Caitlin did that one time. Yeah. And, like, people are giving – people give me a lot of flack for messing up that math question in the boat challenge that or, uh, Colby ended up getting. But, like, holy crap, it is so hard to do a, like – Doing a math problem when you have, like, 10 seconds to do it and you know millions of people are watching you is so different than just, like, sitting in a class doing it on the board. Like, of course I know how to take the area of a parallelogram. But, like, when you're in that environment and you're freaking out, it's totally different. And I don't think very many people understand that. Well, that was the thing, and that was one of my favorite things about the boat episode. Like, all of you guys who were doctors were, like, overthinking it. 
and the guy that's basically just a high school teacher was like, hey, guys, you're overthinking this. Let me do it. And he figured it out yeah. like, like that. It was like, dude, from now on, anytime I go into any challenge, I'm letting the high school teacher start first. I'm be like, that guy knows how to teach kids, and he knows how to read directions. Let him start first. Yeah, no kidding. And, I mean, when you're, at, like, a doctor and stuff, you spend so much time going into such that stuff that's unbelievably specific that it's really easy to forget the real simple stuff. Uh, so it's not surprising to me that Colby was better at that math problem than I was. No, and I, I agree with that 110%. I, I guess my next question for you, now that you do have the Wii U, what is your favorite game for it? Oh, it's... Right now, it still has to be Super Mario 3D World. Uh, it's just so much fun. Uh, such a good cooperative experience, but also fun single player. Uh, that is good. I've been enjoying uh, Captain Toad Treasure Hunter or whatever. Treasure Tracker. Uh, yes. I, yes. Treasure Tracker. Yes. That game has been really fun. It hasn't been as challenging as I hoped, but it's really good for just, I need to sit down for 20 minutes and zone out. I totally agree. I, I uh, My wife and I got... I think it was. It came out like last year or something like into last out around year. Christmas. Yeah, around Christmas got, like, time. In January, if yeah. I remember correctly. And I, I remember I just like how cute Toad is, and like I just I think he's a very interesting character, and I, and we don't know a lot about him, and I, he he's very uh, enigmatic in that way, and it's just like seeing him walk around and and you know get scared and spooked, and he'd run off the other way. Like it just the level design was very creative. I love the art. Like I said, Nintendo makes the best first party games. Period. Like they know how. They don't have games that are broken on day one. You know what I mean? Like, that was the problem last year was there's so many games for the PS4 and Xbox One that you had to have this big patch on day one to fix it. Well, why release a game when it's not working? And Nintendo, you don't really have to have that problem. Nintendo knows how to make high-quality games. They have that Nintendo gold seal of approval on every copy for a reason. They, they check it in and out, you know, and have several playtesters check it out. So, love yeah, Nintendo. Yeah, okay, but I will say, I will to give... Nintendo some criticism, I've been really disappointed in how few new IP, uh, new intellectual properties Nintendo has been making. Like, you, like, after, what are we at, you know, Mario Kart 8? Like, it's still Mario Kart, you know, or like, Star, you know, we, you know, we still have Star Fox, we still have Donkey Kong, like, I wish Nintendo would, you know, start making some new characters. Well, that was the thing that I... I really try new. Well, that was the thing with, with Codename Steam that I was very interested in, because it was a new IP that they're tackling on, you know, for the 3DS. Have you had a chance to play Codename Steam? No. Yeah, it's made by the team that did Fire Emblem, so I think it'd be right up your alley. Uh, essentially, it's a it's a third-person real-time strategy game where your every move you have is controlled by how much steam you have. Like, every step, every action you have, you only have a limited amount of oh. steam. Yeah, I saw the video for that. It looked really interesting. Yeah, I think it'd be right up your alley because there's a lot of uh, interesting things. Uh, it really has a lot of strategy to it because you'll have a team of four people that you have in the game. And also there's aliens and creatures that have moves as well. And they can only move so many steps as well. And so you have to be able huh. to see what they're doing and what you're doing. And sometimes they're, they'll sneak up behind you because you they're, your view's being obstructed for some reason because you can't really turn around. Like, you can turn around, but that's going to, you know, use a steam point up. So it's like, it's very, like, every single movement counts for something. And I, I think you would actually really enjoy it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Huh, okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, it's good stuff. So I do agree with you, though. Nintendo... Yeah, I want something new, you know, like they, they, they've tried and with different franchises and everything like that, but they it just it just doesn't really hold 
I mean, you think about it, Mario and Link and Samus, those are household names. Like, they they arguably have the second greatest uh, characters to Disney, in my opinion. I think they have amazing library of characters. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just, I wish they would make some new ones. You know, like, come on, even Disney, you know, they just released Frozen, right? Like, Disney's still trying to do new stuff. Why can't you, Nintendo? Yeah, I know, and hopefully with this new Nintendo NX coming out, um, they don't have a release date yet, but Deuce and I, we're assuming, we're predicting uh, 2017 it'll be released. Uh, you know, we'll find out more uh, E3 coming in June, which we're going to be live Twitch live streaming. Coverage of, yeah. yeah, we're going to be doing a live Twitch stream, because oh. Deuce and I have been doing a lot of live Twitch. Uh, we d- I just did a live Twitch of uh, Super Mario 64 uh, the other night, so we like going back to the old school games and you know really showing love and appreciation for... You know the past class, you know classic uh, past game. So definitely uh, check that out. We've uh, we had a really good time with uh, you know Twitch because Twitch is a whole new world. You know uh, it's really blown up in the last couple of years. Yeah, I I haven't really experienced much Twitch stuff yet, um, but I keep hearing so much about it. Uh, yeah, it really does seem like the new big thing. Well, and another thing is, is like it's also a younger demographic that's doing Twitch as well that we've that Deuce and I have found. Like, well, people come in, we'll be playing. Like it was like twenty five years of Super Mario Brothers three, right? They had the anniversary this year, so like we were we were we were live streaming Super Mario Brothers three, and we were we were talking to people in the chat, and people were like, "Oh yeah, uh, my first console was uh, PlayStation one." I'm like, "Oh my gosh." <laughs> you know, like it really, it really showed how old Deuce and I were. You know what I mean? That we've been playing since '87, so it was like, you know, it's it's just weird to see kind of like that paradigm shift, if you will, of you know, with technology, kids are learning it. People have kids eight years old have a cell phone in their hands. You know, so like we're technology is really changing in these last this last decade. Yeah, I just hope that as technology changes, we don't lose the ability for like, you know. The next generation of kids hopefully won't be able to, like, I'm worried that the next generation of kids won't be able to play some of today's games because, like, oh, the server's offline. They're like, oh, you know, you can't break the, uh, you know, encryption on the software anymore because that doesn't exist. So, like, I hope they do a good job of preserving some of these games for the future. Yeah, I really do hope that. And the good thing is that Smithsonian now is actually taking video games in and they're putting them in the Smithsonian which I think is awesome. So at least maybe future generations in the Smithsonian will have games that they can go back to. And it's like, oh, we've got a preserved copy of this and the original source code and, you know, things like that. Oh, that'd be great, yeah. Or at least if they just keep releasing them on new consoles and, you know, on cell phones, you know, like Final Fantasy 6 on your cell phone, things like that. Uh, give them that, you know, a huge step in the right direction. Well, that, and also we've got Steam now, which Steam, to me, in my opinion, I don't have a, a, a computer, really. I mean, I've got a laptop, but it's an old piece of junk. Uh, but I don't have a new fancy, uh, you know, computer that can play all these new games. But from what everybody tells me, with Steam, it's kind of like a, a saved piece of your history. Like, you can go back and play the old uh, Command & Conquer games. You can play all these old, like, Half-Life games and things like that that they save on there and you can still play on newer computers. And I just hope that they keep doing that. They keep kind of uh, building that history because the thing is, it's like anything, no matter it's art, whether it's books, whether it's whatever, if we don't know where we came from and what started the whole craze and what got us into it as kids, and we won't be able to save that for a future. And I think that's very, very important. Yeah. And there's a website, GOG, I think. Yep. Uh, 
that that like their whole deal is like making taking old games and making them so that they can play them on modern computers, and that's so awesome Good for them. Yeah, I loved I loved their uh, their take on um, was it X Men vs Tie Fighter? That was awesome. I love those games. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. Growing up, like X Men vs Tie Fighter was like my favorite. Uh, so it's so cool to see it. Like, oh, you can still play it now. That and bring back the joystick, man. I remember playing all those old games when you actually had a joystick. And kids, you, you show a kid a joystick now and they look at it like, you know, it's just some strange thing you put in front of them. Like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, this is a joystick. You know, you pull the trigger, it goes back, forth, left, and right. And they're like, uh, I don't know what to do with that. Give me a controller. Yeah, I still have my joystick from my childhood. And it's sitting next to my computer. And I haven't touched it in years. But I know it's always there. And that's, I feel like, important for me. Well, that's probably what they're going to start putting in the Smithsonian next is the old uh, flight sticks and joysticks. That's right. Well, Jonathan, we really, you know, we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk with us. Uh, it's it's been an amazing ride. You've been an awesome friend, awesome guest today, and just thank you so much. No problem. It's been a lot of fun, um, and I will check out some of those games you suggested. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, how do people find you on the internet? You should find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Sky, S-K-Y-E, Tetra, T-E-T-R-A. So it's like an unnecessarily complicated way of spelling Sky, so they add an E, and an unnecessarily complicated way of putting the number four, so they said Tetra instead. Okay, awesome, awesome. Are, is there anything you're working on, any projects that you're working on you want to tell us about? Uh, not too much. I've been really busy with work for the last little bit of time, but my most recent project was I actually made a Twitter bot. Um, and the Twitter bot is called at Nuck, K-N-U-K, underscore Taps, T-A-P-S. And what it does is that every four hours it will tweet a knuckle tat, where a t- knuckle tat is two four-letter words that you could get tattooed on your knuckles. Um, so if people are looking for a way to, I don't know, support me or whatever, you should check out that. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Johnny keeps saying he's looking for new ink, so maybe he'll have to go look in the knuckle tat and get him some knuckle tats. There you go. <laughs> exactly. So thank you so much, and uh, definitely if there's anything that you want to – we have an open-door policy. If there's anything you want to come in to plug and talk about, you know, you're always welcome on the happy hour with Johnny and Deuce. Thank you. Good to know. All right, and once again, congr- right. congratulations for winning Season 3, by the way. And the big money. That's right. I'm not playing about that. So, thank you so much, Jonathan. You have a great time. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you too. Okay, Bye. later. Well, that was our amazing interview with Jonathan Adler, season three winner of TBS's King of the Nerds. Wow, we've, we've, we've covered so many bases. We've gone so far. We've talked yeah. about uh, King of the Nerds. We've talked about the Wii U. We've talked about video games. We've talked about the Smithsonian. Yeah. We've talked about everything. Man, there's so many bases we've hit. Uh such a fun show, such a fun episode. Um, there's a lot of ways you can hit us up on uh, Facebook and Gmail and Hotmail, but before we get to all that, we want to throw one little shout-out there, and that's to our good friend Todd the Bod. And uh, it's just like the song says, Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? 
hit us up, follow us, man. We love you. You know, you, you, I love to watch your redemption story. That redemption story on the show was great, and uh, we learned a you know big insight too about how how the fan base, you know, how they were looking at this whole situation because I had no idea that's the way we the had fans... we had always thought it was kind of a, a one sided war, yeah. if you will. But now to see that there's people on the other side of the fence, that's really cool and. Like I said, Todd, follow us. We back, love you, man. Todd. We love you, Todd. And and because we, this has been a long overdue, we love you. We we, we should have you back in. Yeah, yeah we you need should, to have you another come back on with you soon. Yeah, yeah. So come back on the show, please, Todd. We'd yeah. love to have you on, and we'll, we'll talk and talk about all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so. because it's always a warm and a welcome environment for everybody from King of the Nerds. We welcome you with open arms. Heck, we're we're welcoming some people even more with open arms here pretty soon. Yep. Um, so uh, we're looking forward to seeing all you guys in the very, very near future. But like I said, there's a lot of ways you can find us and a lot of ways you can hit us up. Johnny, tell me about all the ways you can find the happy hour on the internet. So we are on Twitter at HH Podcast Show. Uh, you can also send us a line at show at gmail.com because we want to start doing another mailbag episode. So send all your thoughts and comments and questions to that Gmail. And of course, uh, as we ta- alluded to earlier, we've been doing a lot of Twitch streaming, twitch.tv forward slash happy hour podcast. And uh, definitely check us out. Just, just pretty much just type in on Google happy hour, happy hour Johnny Deuce, happy hour podcast. We're the one that comes up. So check us out. But when you're talking about the happy hour with Johnny Deuce and your social media of choice, definitely do hashtag. Happy Hour Podcast and hashtag HH Podcast Show and hashtag Deuces on the Loose. Later. See ya.